0: Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence, Jason Wallace, and Mike Nicoletti. Each week, we discuss topics ranging from geopolitics and macroeconomics to energy and technology. You can sign up for our newsletter at Telltales.us. That's T-E-L-L-T-A-L-E-S.us for additional data and content you can use to follow along. The following conversation is intended for informational purposes only you should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you.
1: The, uh, weather in New York is so nice. It's probably almost as nice as San Diego. I think it's 60 degrees. The sun is out. It's, it's, it's not good for natural gas. It's not good for selling heating All, but everything else about the weather is pretty good.
2: It's good for sailing season.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let's get started. The, um, Brief commentary on natural gas, which is uh, the weather's too good. The weather here in the Northeast is going to be 15% warmer than normal. That's almost a record. The record over the last 40 years that we've been in the heating oil business is 19%, but 15 is getting pretty close. Natural gas is worked all the way down the near months down to 250. You'll remember that that was like six dollars in third quarter. The out months, the out years have come down, but not as much. They're still kind of hanging in there, the high, just under $4. We have a guest page here, page 12. These are really good companies, Intero and and EQT and Just Speak. The stocks have come down way less than the price of gas has. Is this an opportunity? I sure hope so. Uh, what will help natural gas? is more LNG gets completed and the Freeport project, which was shut down in the middle of last summer by an explosion, is now coming on. And that's two B's of demand. But it takes a long time to build LNG. There's 10 Bs a day of additional capacity being built, but it, it will come on. you know unfortunately it's not you know it's not coming on of the second half of this year. I think it starts next year. So it'll get better. In the meantime, natural gas rigs are being dropped in the Hainesville. Uh, Marcellus is, is just flat as a pancake at around 35 bees a day out of 95 or whatever we produce. Hainesville is you know, on its way to 20 and it'll flatten out and not grow anymore. The big problem is, you know, for supply is associated gas from the Permian. And the Waha Hub out there has been trading at a huge discount as compared to Houston Ship Channel or or Henry Hub, but activity in the Permian is starting to slow down. Oil is the main source of revenue, but gas is not insignificant. So, you know, the the cure for low prices is going to take, you know, take hold, but, but Will it trade at the near month at two fifty? Will it trade lower? Will it trade down to two dollars? It definitely could. Europe made it through the winter okay, so L N G prices were like forty or all the way down to fourteen, and of course they're they're depressed a little bit recently by restarting the Freeport L N G facility. It's kind of the opposite on oil. The oil company page is page eleven. I've been asking people who are involved with our companies. and that eighty dollar WTI. WTI is around seventy eight or nine now. But it was eighty last week. I've said, "How do you do you think do you think that that ten dollars up or ten dollars down is more likely from eighty over the next forty five days?" And with just one or two exceptions, the people I've been talking to uh, think ten dollars up is more likely. Now they're. They're not predicting 90 in in 45 days but they're saying they would expect it to trade somewhat higher what's their rationale china reopening russian russia announced that they were going to reduce their production half a million barrels a day i think they're just announcing something was happening anyway because of their uh, because of their uh, the impact of sanctions that russian gas fields are modern and you know wells that produce a lot of gas. The Russian oil fields are older and harder to maintain. And under sanctions, you know, Schlumberger isn't there, Albert isn't there anymore. And I think that's beginning to have an impact on them. The EU sanctions and the UK, EU, UK, US of sanctions on Russian oil started December 5th. They they managed to move enough oil to India, China and whatnot to more or less fade that. The CAP system, where they, which has been organized by the U.S. Treasury, which Russia takes exception to, was installed sometime after December 5th. The sanctions on Russian products, which is largely distillate to oil, jet fuel, rather than gasoline, started February 5th. The Russians say they're dropping their production half a million barrels a day in consultation with OPEC or Saudi Arabia. So... That plus China reopening has people feeling kind of bullish. Now, our uh, our national energy specialists working in the Biden administration have decided, having run the petroleum reserve down by half, and they said by this time they'd be adding oil. They've decided to sell more oil out of the petroleum reserve, which is pretty pretty irresponsible, but I guess that's politics. Uh, so oil positive, gas will be better in twelve months. Stocks have not gone down as much as uh, the key with the old stocks or gas stocks. You the only kind of company you want to be in or acquire. And two of the two of the two of the, the first two companies on page eleven, the OG and Magnolia doing it, there may be some others. I, I will try to keep that in mind as we look at year end results and whatnot. But and I put permanent resources in because part of Permian, Colgate has done awfully well, and then it was merged into a public company. So, but we don't, as you can see from the chart, we don't have anything on it. but in terms of recent production, it's just so, you know, it's all mixed up with the uh, acquisition. But both EOG and Magnolia, which is like 10%, and in one-tenth of size, have been able to spend way less than half their cash flow and have eight or 10% production growth. And that is very high Hurdle to do to do, but they've been doing it. Those are the kinds of companies you want to be in. Just to not chew up too much time here, I have got myself comfortable with with the future. The future being the next three four years, or the future through twenty four, in terms of how this is going to work from a political point of view. Not saying that there can't be a huge standoff, you know, between the Freedom Caucus in the House and the Biden administration over the over the debt limit that could happen. But what I was more concerned about is how do you how do you handle the finances of the US with spending at least a trillion dollars more than our revenues. So the debt at thirty one trillion is about twenty five or twenty six out in the hands of the public, the the difference being federal debt held, social Security system, Medicare system and whatnot. That the idea is to not let it get to be more than one times our GMP, which is around 23 trillion or something. So here's what I've come up with to think about now. Don't make investment decisions based on this. And I'm gonna try to do more work on this as time goes on. But here's what I would say the the optimistic view of the next two or three years until we have another national election. If the deficit continues to be a trillion dollars a year, which I think is very likely, and if inflation doesn't get back to 2%, but gets to 4%, the combination of 4% inflation plus, let's say, 2% real growth is 6%, which will increase GNP. By more than a trillion dollars, so that to the extent we're adding a trillion dollars of debt, uh, we'll be kind of balanced. We'll, we'll be able to report ourselves as debt held by the public, not being more than our GMP. Now, that will still require lots of reduced spending. With the benefit of hindsight, granted, the overspending during the two years of COVID. three and a half years of COVID was $7 trillion. At least a couple trillion of that was overspent. Maybe you could say who, who, who could know whether or not it was needed. But now the federal budget, when you take out Social Security, and you take out Medicare, and you take out defense, because there's a bipartisan support for maintaining a higher defense budget than we had pre-COVID, mostly because of China, I guess. That leaves you with discretionary spending, and that discretionary spending is, I don't know, trillion, trillion dollars, trillion two, or something like that. Well, impinging on that is the interest bill. With $31 trillion of debt outstanding, the interest bill so far this year is running at about 2%, so that would be $600 million of spending. So... At least half of that trillion dollar overspend is the fact that we have the debt and now with the Fed increasing the Fed's funds rate, you know, that interest bill is going to continue to go up. Not to mention that we also have quantitative tightening. During during the COVID, the two and a half years of COVID, where we overspent by seven trillion, the Fed bought five trillion of treasury securities. So we in effect monetized our overspending. That 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 is now being reversed at the rate of around a hundred billion a month. So we're going down the Fed balance sheet which got as high as nine, will within you know, will be going down a trillion dollars a year. I I don't see any set of circumstances where the Fed board, independent of the you know, of the administration or of the House and the Senate will do anything other than keep that, that 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 Fed balance sheet going down by a trillion a year. So think of it: what will the interest rate be on our base security, on our ten-year bonds, if rather than the Fed buying the debt, now the Fed is 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 in effect letting the debt run off? So you have to raise a trillion dollars to take care of that, and then you have to raise a trillion dollars for the new spending. So you go from not having to raise that much money, you know. Two trillion out of seven trillion, having to raise two trillion a year. The ten-year bond, which is currently trading for three and a half percent now, has got to go higher. It seems to me. Now, what what would be a number that would would conform to you know thirty years ago, forty years ago, before the Fed came up with this uh, quantitative easing concept? I think it's the rate of inflation plus two percent. So, if the rate of inflation is four percent, two percent would be six percent. Well, six percent is a heck of a lot more than three and a half percent. So, in terms of trying to live with the stocks we own or the stocks we want to acquire or whatnot, let's just keep in mind that that this is a real possibility, and you know how you know how what's the impact going to be on overall valuations. And uh, that doesn't mean to say we get paralyzed. That doesn't mean to say, we now, what what do you want to own? Well, I think you want free cash flow. I, I don't think in this environment you want something that needs to raise more money, either in the equity market or in the debt market. So you want something that has free cash flow, and then you want something where the free cash flow is growing. If your goal is, and I think it's what everyone's goal should be, to take your investable assets and double them every five years, that's 15%. So what you want on the companies you own and the companies you're looking at is want to make sure that your free cash flow is 5% or maybe 4%. I mean, maybe you can discount that a little bit. And that the free cash flow, not the sales, not the net income, grows 10% a year. You ought to be okay using that discipline. And you'll notice uh, these 20 pages, all these companies, big emphasis on free cash flow and free cash flow rate of return and then on the interims whether or not the free cash flow is going up and with that i've ground through 14 minutes we've got 16 minutes left just pause and see if mike or jason have anything to disagree with or add or whatnot to the 14 minutes
2: sure so i guess i'll I'll put a question back to you in that and it's something we watch a lot because a lot of the quote-unquote growth names and a lot of the tech names specifically software as a service have been very correlated with these interest rates and you know there's a theory that the that the very low inc- interest rates since the global financial crisis is really what has enabled that business model to work I guess, what's your kind of take on that? And then, I guess, the the balance between high-risk assets in general. Does this actually just make it a better situation for incumbents that have cash flow that can invest in these projects and harder for upstarts?
1: Yeah. I think that I could be high on the 6% on the 10-year bond, but that's going to depend on the inflation rate we get down to. The Fed says 2%. I don't know where, I know where the 2% came from. They were so concerned after 08, 09 with deflation that they wanted to get the inflation rate back to 2% and they didn't get there, really. So that's that's why they started doing quantitative easing without any crisis. They are somehow worried that we were going to have a deflation. If the inflation rate, which you know, is now running, depending on what index you're using is running, four or five or six percent. The Fed has an index which is a point and a half or so less than the consumer price index was just announced. So if they got that index that they like down to the three, three and a half percent range, would they start to reduce the Fed funds rate? I think they will. I don't think that they, I mean, the Fed has a dual mandate. One is full employment, and the other is no inflation. I think any reasoned analysis of the US economy would settle for three and a half percent inflation. I think they're saying two percent just to take a stance. If they if when we got the their their particular index down to three or three and a half percent, that would put the consumer price index at four percent or four and a half. I think they would start to bring the Fed funds rate down. So it depends on which interest rate you're talking about. If the long term, if the tenure rate is the inflation rate plus a point and a half or two points of real return, the Fed funds rate might be 2%. So you'd have, you know, you'd have the, the Fed, the, the US government, then, the US Treasury would not issue much in the way of tenure bonds. They'd issue bills and one year notes and whatnot to try to keep the interest rate down because any increase in the interest paid on the on the debt held by the public is going to impinge on their ability to do chip plants or finance hydrogen plants or, you know, transition energy. My own belief is that the national election is gonna be in twenty four, it's gonna be fought out on these issues. I think if a Republican, other than Trump hopefully and the Republicans are in control of the Senate and the House, they may think onshoring by bringing more chip capacity here is a good thing. But I'm not sure that some of this other transition energy stuff, which makes very little economic sense, will happen. So I think that, I mean, that's, that's, I guess, I'm thinking that any concerns about the capital market may already be reflected in the valuation of companies. Now that being said, it's gonna be very hard for companies that are growing without cash flow to take on Microsoft for you know selling subscriptions to AI products. Because Microsoft is strong. They have cash, they have cash flow. It 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 it, it is it is it is to, to build a business up in competition with Microsoft is is going to be more difficult, I think, because of these capital market conditions. But I don't know whether that answers the question, Mike and Jason, but
2: I I think it tough. does. I mean the, the 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 dilemma is in in some sense we've gone through the last couple of decades with no alternative to equities. And now you're seeing real, you know, at least some bond yields being somewhat significant. But if we're running hotter inflation, you still need to earn a return that's greater than that bond yield. So maybe maybe there is no alternative continues for a while until we figure out where we stand from a long-term inflation perspective.
1: Let's look at page two. Page two is Microsoft, Salesforce, Snowflake, and Oracle. And they've been updated for more recent results. Salesforce, is probably a case I, i'm gonna to speak to myself and then we'll get mike and jason i think it's a case of not paying enough attention to free cash flow it's a large company you know 170 billion of equity you know 180 billion enterprise value with only a couple of billion dollars of free cash flow i think it just needs to be tightened up and you have three or four activist firms agreeing with that and the founder we kind of coming along i think so that's kind of a special case. Let's look at Snowflake, new company, considered to be very well managed, $50 billion market cap and running a free cash flow loss of something under a billion dollars. Jason and Mike are going to do a much better job. But the way I look at Snowflake is that it, it pre- presents people who are Azure customers, Microsoft customers, or AWS customers, Amazon Web Services customers with a way to get more out of the service that Microsoft's providing or Amazon's providing or or Google's providing or Oracle's providing. It is growing a lot. Its revenue is up 30%. Will it get to free cash flow? I think so. But um, if you look at that, I mean, I have $2 billion of revenues, $700 million of R&D, a billion dollars of sales. I think in time, one of two things will happen. The management, which I think is pretty well thought of, will start to curtail some of the r and in sales and or the sales will grow. And that when we're looking at Snowflake this time next year, rather than a free cash flow loss of 700 million will be break even or maybe uh, 100 or 200 million positive. But with that, so I will, will, will that is that stock a buy at 160? Is the possibility of higher interest rates built in? I don't know. The stock's been as high as 300. It's been as low as 100. I would say it pretty well discounts capital market stuff. But with that, I'd rather go over to Mike and Jason and get their take on it because they have a much better understanding. health uh, Jason almost went to work for Snowflake at the beginning. So h- how, how does that analysis or assessment of Snowflake agree with the two of you?
2: I think that's about right. I mean, the the real question for all these is, does their operation scale, right? If they have to incrementally add headcount just to keep the thing going around around in line with revenue, which is sort of what's happened at Salesforce, which is why they don't have much free cash flow, then there's a problem. So we're gonna get a few tests here, right? We've got Twitter trimming staff by seventy percent to see if they can turn that into a cash flow generating company. You've got Salesforce with activist investors all lined up basically saying you've gotta cut expenses. And Snowflake with a very competent management team that has made it clear that their goal is to reinvest all their cash flow as long as they have good growth opportunities. So The nice thing about Snowflake, I think, is that they don't have to go back and raise more money. Any company that has to go out and raise money right now is going to be, we think, in a pretty major predicament. So anything to add there, Jason?
3: Yeah. I think one thing I've I've been thinking about for Snowflake lately is is Oracle as a competitor. So they have a competing product called HeatWave, ironically, (laughs) No, no doubt targeting Snowflake. And... You know, d- cloud computing is a is a highly competitive business as it is, and if if you have this competition, can they slow down on R and D and innovation? They might not be able to to cut that as expense as much as we'd like. Um, so, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's a, a harder road to to free cash flow positive than than we think.
2: I, I think for the companies that have to go back and say that everything we've been doing in the past was wrong, and I'm specifically talking about sales force here, are going to have the harder road. The sort of boom times and limitless capital availability are sort of over from that perspective. So I think this is all very healthy for the industry because we're going to learn from companies that try different things what the right operating model is for these businesses. And I do think at the end of the day, there's some stage of growth where you should be reinvesting all of your cash flow. And there's a stage of growth where you should be um, reinvesting part of it. And it's not that much different than thinking about one of these oil and gas producers, right? What percentage of the cash flow do you spend? And what percentage do you return to shareholders? But it it all has to do with different stages of the business.
1: Yeah, I I would say oil and gas producers now have enough choice. Investors, it's it's kind of like the it's kind of like Salesforce with four activists circling, uh, the the oil and gas companies, including the very large ones, Exxon and Chevron, will not get off the straight and narrow. And the straight and narrow is is don't spend more than half your cash flow. Use half your free cash flow to pay a dividend, and the other half to buy in stock, and I suspect that in order to compete for, you know, to be able to hold people and, and with Microsoft or with Apple, I mean, uh, Exxon has 60 billion of free cash flow, but Apple has 95 and Microsoft has 60, I think in order for Salesforce or Snowflake or that matter, Oracle is, is going to have to be more disciplined about generating cash flow. I, I, uh, I think the alternative is not being able to hang on to people. Uh, I mean, it's one thing to lose investors. Look at Intel, for example. Let's let's contrast, let's go to page three. Intel's in a deep, deep, deep decline and may not be possible to turn that around. Their free cash flow is a negative 12 billion. Um, one of the, concerns that an Intel board member or stockholder management has to be that how in the world that they can hang on to talent against NVIDIA and AMD where a NVIDIA and AMD have free cash flow, have strong balance sheets, and have growth in revenue and free cash flow. I mean, how, you know, if, if the assets walk out the door every night, uh, what the heck is Intel to do?
2: Well, and th- it's a great question. What is Intel doing? Because they just announced, was it the last week or the week before, that they are cutting salaries by 30% and re- eliminating bonuses. I mean, you have some very talented people at Intel, and they're all going to have no choice but to leave. I mean, why, why would you stay? And then the people that stay are the ones that aren't going to have other options. So it's a, but the
1: but they kept the dividend going. <laughs> <laughs> the Jason and Mike have been terrific warding us off Intel. Now the video, which got down almost to a hundred, is now a two hundred dollar stock. And that's not because their free cash flow is up, because their free cash flow is actually down, you know, to four and a half billion from eight or nine. But but I think what has happened here is that most observers who are you know who are generalists or or or, or you know people who are very experienced in tech investing and, and managing tech companies feel that the AI software that Microsoft has invested in is very, very important. And Mike and Jason know NVIDIA through and through. I mean my assessment for how a $100, $110 stock turned into a $200 stock is that, 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 that artificial intelligence is going to be embraced, has been embraced by Microsoft and that Microsoft will be able to do what it does with its office suite. And, and, and that is sell these AI products or for, you know, on a subscription basis and, and, and do very well at it, you know, uh, Whatever money they have up, they'll make back pretty quickly. And uh, but these things chew up server time and you know more server capacity, especially the capacity that's needed to do these this AI work means more GPUs, which means you know Nvidia. As long as Taiwan Semiconductor and Samsung can make them, it's going to have a you know a kind of exploding market for GPUs. Is 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 that that's that. That that's not in consultation with Mike or Jason. Mike and I talk for about twenty minutes every morning. But I mean, is that a is that assessment of an extra eighty dollars for Nvidia stock? Is that fairly well tracked, Jason, or what do you think?
3: Oh, absolutely. It, it doesn't matter who's coming out with the AI product that takes off. They're all you know, they're all buying Nvidia chips. They're going to need a lot of memory, a lot of server hardware, a lot of cloud computing infrastructure. So. Pick and shovel plays are, are what we like there.
2: And part of the repricing, I think, had to do with the crypto hangover, if you will. So from our perspective, it's really nice <laughs> to have that out of the way because crypto was never part of our investment thesis when it came to it came to NVIDIA. So at least we feel like the business that we're getting done right now is not artificially inflated by something that we felt wasn't going to be around for a very long time. So so yeah, I think that was part of the 110 price too. Right. right.
1: Good. Well, we've run out of time. Anything else Jason might cover now rather than next Wednesday? I don't think so. Good. Well, everyone be well. You know, one of the good things about COVID, it really seems to have passed its time here and hopefully in China. Just something that I'm going to be thinking about for the next week, because one of the things I'm going to do over the weekend is add Taiwan semiconductor to the uh, chip page uh, right beside Intel, is if this macro situation works out, is there a way to kind of get more of an emphasis on commercial activity vis-a-vis China, less concern about them, you know, trying to... uh, uh, next Taiwan the way Russia tried to uh, is trying to do an next Ukraine and that would make a uh, you know an investment in Taiwan semiconductor for that matter an investment in Apple a little less stacking risk. but unless something else comes up that'll be one of our focuses next Wednesday take care everyone be well
0: The views expressed on this podcast are the host's alone and do not constitute an offer to sell or a recommendation to purchase or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security nor a recommendation for any investment product or service. While certain information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, neither the hosts nor any of their employers or their affiliates have independently verified this information, and its accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Accordingly, no representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to and no reliance should be placed on the fairness, accuracy, timeliness, or completeness of this information. The hosts and all employers and their affiliated persons assume no liability for this information and no obligation to update the information or analysis contained herein in the future and may or may not hold positions in the securities mentioned.